Good morning and welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. Sitting here watching a sunrise on the southwest coast of the United States, not too far from Tijuana, Mexico. And a beautiful sunrise it is this morning. Makes me think of the love of God. The Bible says the mercies of God are new every morning. And it's always morning somewhere. So that means the mercies of God are always new. And when I think of the love of God, it kind of makes me think of what I wrote in Reflection 23 in the book Unveiled Horizon. Let me share it with you. It's become common to dishonor the love of God by using terms like greasy grace and believing that preaching grace will give people a, quote, license to sin. Last time I checked, people weren't looking to the church for permission to sin. They were sinning just fine all on their own. To water down the grace and the love of Jesus Christ for mankind may eternally prove to be one of the biggest doctrinal errors ever propagated in church history. I went to many youth camps where I heard many stories and illustrations that all seemed to communicate that God would accept you conditionally, whereas the devil would take you without condition. Hell was ironclad. Heaven was fragile. I listened to horrific modern parables of fathers in various situations having to choose to sacrifice their sons to save a worthless people who really didn't deserve it. One pastor said, God murdered his own son for you. I sat dumbfounded at the picture of God being portrayed before me, and the conclusion of the sermon was essentially a demand to love God or else. The problem in these stories was that they claimed to introduce us to the rules of divine engagement. And we were confronted with two choices, forced acceptance or forced judgment. Either way, it wasn't love. Love, quote, became a dirty word in the message of the gospel. And grown men would mimic the most effeminate voice when they would say the word love in sermons. To tell people the truth was to warn them. There was no room for love in warning. We were told that it was love to warn. And so that's what we did. That's what I did. The church would construct elaborate plays where people were depicted as being dragged to hell to face an eternity of torment. We called this confronting people with the gospel. The message of the love of Jesus became wrapped in a confrontational cloak rather than an invitation from the heart of love himself. In each of the stories, the clear implication was that I was a worthless being whom God had rescued. These stories were met with rushes to the altar, many tears, and celebratory hugs because we were just rescued from an eternity of torture. The gospel was a demanding ultimatum. The lens of grace has shaped how I approach the Bible these days. I see God's goodness everywhere. And the power of that mercy can't be understated. The cautious attitude toward the message of love is baffling. For when in history have we ever loved too much? I would contend that at no point in history have people seen believers in Jesus demonstrating too much love. Instead, the world has been used to a superhuman level of abuse between men and women created in God's image. How in the world did a perfect God create such a mess, such worthlessness, such a horrible creature as man? If we in our wretchedness were created to be a reflection of God, how then could we call him perfect? Maybe this is why the command to be perfect and to be holy was a part of the core message of Jesus. The gospel has been presented to many as a transaction, 
a business arrangement where you make a deal with God. In exchange for your verbal agreement, you can expect to go to heaven when you die. But what about now? Is the gospel meant to ensure a good afterlife? Or is it meant to encompass your whole life? Rather than seeing the gospel as merely a transaction, begin to see it as a transformation. Now, I believe hell is real, horrible, dark, and beyond any description that language could conceive to communicate evil. However, hell is not the motivation God is interested in when it comes to the fuel that moves your being to action. We are not to be fueled by fear, but empowered by love. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. But when love himself is fueling your action, you will be strong and do exploits unhindered by fear, never burning out, strengthened by joy, and at rest in your heart. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. In what way has the gospel had an effect on your present life? How in the world did you come to accept Jesus Christ? Did you hear a message or did you meet the man? You see, hearing the message, you can be motivated by all kinds of things. Fear, you can be motivated by love, you can be motivated by compassion, you can be motivated by a sense of, I need to find my purpose in life. Many were motivated by that. The, the need to find your own purpose in life actually is more focused on you than it is on Jesus. I mean, what if his entire purpose for creating you and me was just simply because you wanted to, to enjoy uh, creating art? for the sake of expressing himself as an artist does. He is, after all, by nature, creator. And in creating you and I, perhaps he was creating a being that would, in effect, walk through a process of formation and being able to witness its own formation, humanity could learn to discover the nature and the character of God himself that image that we are made in, that nature that we are built to partake of. The Bible says we are partakers of the divine nature. In other words, we are co-experiencing this revelation of divinity, what we call God, what God calls himself, I am. Just I am. That's it. I am. I exist. Existence, essence, being, but a being that can feel, a being that can emote, a being that has the ability to be surprised, though he knows the end from the beginning. Doesn't that make sense? He, he knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. All things in him were created by, in, and for him. And that means the invention of time. So if he knows everything, how can he possibly then be surprised? Unless he reserves the right, reserves the privilege, reserves the luxury of suspending his own foreknowledge to be able to set things in motion that he chooses not to know the outcome of so that you and I can participate in the transformational creative process that ultimately delights and surprises him. Jesus marveled at people's faith. Didn't he know that they had it? He gave it to them after all. Unless God has set a goodness a redemptive plan in motion that's so thorough and so complete that ultimately when everything is said and done, we realize that made in his image and likeness, we have not attained by any means the status of God. 
but begin to discover the very core essence of the nature of God found in Jesus Christ, ultimately represented in us. I think a minister and prophetic voice, Bob Jones, probably had it right when he said, the only question that you're gonna get asked in heaven is, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? So many reasons for judgment down here, as if we say down here, as if heaven is up there, but we only use those terms to somehow try to create some sort of distance and separation between us and perfection because everything we live down here is not perfection, therefore perfection must be above us. And the Bible says that Jesus has come from above and he who is above or from above is above all. And yet don't think of the terms above as in a distant separation mode. Just simply transcendent, that's the idea here, transcendent. Jesus, when he ascended, he lifted off the earth, went into the clouds according to the biblical reports. And they say, well, he went up. Well, if you're on the other side of the world, he went down. So the issue is not an issue of up and down. The issue is not above, below. The issue is transcendent over that which is limited. And there's a realm issue that we're talking about. The realms of God are what we're dealing with here. God is just as close as your next breath and he's not distant or separate from you except in your awareness. But the reality is, is that he above us transcends, lifted above all of the circumstances in this world, the negativity in this world, the difficulty and darkness in this world that surrounds us and envelops us, encompasses us. And that's why King David, writing in the Psalms, said, and now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me, and I will offer in your tabernacle sacrifices of joy, and I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. It's interesting because David, in the middle of circumstances where all of these enemies are coming against him on this level, standing still in the midst of them transcends that moment to see something completely different that turns his heart from fear into rejoicing. That's what I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about any new age mumbo jumbo or mystical weirdness, but there is a mystery to it. I'm talking about the circumstances that you are in right now. The things that war against the compassion, the heart, the joy, the peace, and the love of God. Those circumstances that you are facing right now, is it possible that suddenly becoming in this moment aware of the reality of the presence of Jesus, reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that he's made his home in you, that he's not inviting you to, to step out of these circumstances and escape this world, but he's placed you in them to actually make an impact in this world by literally reflecting the sound of heaven, the voice of his spirit, the love of his being, the I amness of his peace and to transcend the difficulty, the dark, the disease, the pain, the hurt, the heartache, the betrayal of this moment that you're living in, to transcend all of that and to lift up your head above the circumstances around you and to see Jesus in his glory and to see you seated with him presently, unthreatenable. You can't be threatened when you're in the presence of Jesus. You can't be threatened when you're seated on the throne. 
You could be in chains, you could be in prison, you could be in jail, you could be in a hospital bed, you could be breathing your last as doctors are giving you no hope, and you're saying, can I possibly redeem and rescue everything in this life and make it all right? There may be a sense where we just wanna fix everything. And listen, he could do miracles and fix things, turn cancerous cells into normal cells in a heartbeat in a moment. But do you understand that the kingdom of God is not in this moment, in this life, limited to the physical world that you live in right now. It is the realm, the transcendent realm of the eternal unseen, where there is no aging, no death, no dying, no pain, no suffering. And yet, the joys and the blessings of this realm are carried into that realm. We call it heaven and carried into that realm. All the blessings, the joys are carried there while the curses are all left behind. Jesus came to demonstrate the redemption from the curse on the cross. The redeeming of the curse was the the whole message of the cross, the redeeming of, of us from the curse of the law, the curse of distance and separation, the curse of judgment, the curse of failure, the curse of guilt, shame, the curse of condemnation, the curse of all of it, all of the pain that we bring upon ourselves and other people. Jesus comes to redeem us from the curse of that system. So now we're encouraged, don't be conformed to the pattern, the system, the old covenant way of thinking of this world. God is your punisher if you do something wrong. Oh, listen, God is a father who in love corrects, brings us to a place of being better than we were before, shapes and forms us, the Bible says conforms us into the image of Christ. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's the deal. He began a good work in you. It's his work. You say, the Bible says I'm supposed to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. The very next verse says, for it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And listen, I know the things that I'm speaking about might seem a little different than what you're used to hearing in church, but it's really the same message lift from, lifted from beyond the, the physicality of, of this world to help you to see higher, different, to, to the transcendent reality that you and I are currently seated in heavenly places in Christ. And in that place, there is no sickness, disease, dying, pain, torment. You and I, with and in him, find ourselves at rest in reconciled union with the heart of the Father, and there we are home. And yet, there is here, and then is now. And that is the reality that maybe I, I, I think is perhaps one of the most valuable to realize, that eternity has already begun for you in Christ. It's all present right now. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven for completeness. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, in Christ, in Jesus Christ, in that body, the fullness of all of the Godhead dwelt, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit represented right there in Jesus. But then it goes on to say, and in him, you have been made complete. Do you notice? doesn't say will be made complete. It says have been made complete. That completeness may not be realized by you, but it's as real as it gets in the realm of heaven now, which is why God looks at you and loves 
receives, accepts you. Now, listen, understand, God accepts you as he sees you right now, having been made complete in him. When you receive Christ, when you accept Christ, when you give your life to Christ, there's a completeness from heaven's perspective about who you are. You don't have to prove anything to God. But here's the thing, even though he accepts you from heaven's perspective, you're accepted by God, but he doesn't leave you as he found you. He is fully intent on shaping and forming you by his spirit, co-laboring, walking with him through this life to really walk home knowing you are accepted in the beloved changed, transformed. That's the idea here. It's not transactional, it's transformational. That's the the gospel is a transformational encounter with God that shapes you in salvation. Doesn't just lift you out of a garbage can to bring you as a recycled piece of worthlessness home to simply be recycled again. No, that's, that's not the way it works. And he made you. He knew you. He's always known who you are. He's never not going to know who you are. And he's not letting how you see yourself or the lies and the labels you believe about yourself dictate to him whether he can love you, receive you, accept you, or any of that. He he knows you. And not only that, he is fully committed to completing the work that he began in you. You say, has he begun a work in me? If you listen to this broadcast today, he's begun a work in you. Let the thoughts that I've given you today, the words that I've shared with you, just settle into your heart. And maybe now the verse that has been held up at the end zone in football games for years, if you heard in Sunday school, if your parents drug you there and brought you there and you've heard in revival meetings, for God so loved the world. John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That everlasting life that Jesus came to give us, he calls it abundant life. He said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. It's not everlasting torments, not everlasting misery. It's everlasting abundance of life. You're saying, I've never seen abundant life before. This is what Jesus comes to give you. And it's not about money. It's not about fame. It's not about things. It's about his presence that brings you into an awareness of joy, joy in childlike wonder, joy in covenant level union that produces a life that flows from you to shape the geography of the humanity around you. And that is that when people get around you, they'll know that God is real, that he loves, that he cares, that he cherishes them, that he knew them before he formed them, and that they are not even of them distant and separate from him, but they are together within him reconciled. Came to reconcile us. God was fully present in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Now, it's given you and me, you and I, this ministry of reconciliation. Said so, Bill, you're talking in, in mysteries and words that are hard to understand. Yeah, but is your spirit coming alive? Because <laughs> that's kind of the deal. Sometimes your heart can say yes to what your mind can't wrap itself around yet. So today, right here in this moment, I just want to ask you this simple, simple question. Do you know Jesus? 
Because Jesus is everything. You understand, Jesus is the whole package, the whole story. You say, why do you believe in Jesus? Well, there's a few reasons I believe in Jesus, and I've mentioned these on podcasts before, but every now and then it bears repeating. I believe in Jesus because of the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection because of the disciples. The disciples were, were cowards. They didn't know anything about anything. And up, all the way up until the crucifixion, even though they did miracles and they performed wonders with Jesus, all the way up until the crucifixion, these guys don't have a clue as to who he really is until the resurrection. But between that time of the crucifixion, the resurrection, the time of, of the last supper and the time that Jesus comes out of the tomb, Judas the treasurer goes out and hangs himself over, over the guilt and shame of betraying the Lord, even though he doesn't fully comprehend what he's done or maybe he is the only one that fully comprehends it. Either way, he decides that he has made such a mess of his life, he goes into self-destruct mode. Do you understand that Jesus loved Judas? What about Peter? Peter gets so offended that he goes and hangs out in a side street at night, standing around a group of people, and they say, hey, we recognize you in the glow of the fire. They look at Peter's face and they say, we recognize you with Jesus. And Peter cusses them out, swears at them, speaks in a way that no follower of Jesus ever would or could, and denies even knowing him. That's the, that's the boldest member of the disciples. The, you could say, leader of the ministry team. The leader of the ministry team claims not even to know Jesus and the treasurer just went out and committed suicide. You're left with 10 men who are just brutally hurt and confused. They're locked together in an upper room. When Jesus appears in John chapter 20 and he looks at them and says, peace to you, don't be afraid, he's saying. That's what he always said, give peace and cut out fear in his presence and and then he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. Gave him his Holy Spirit, sent them out. And these guys who with Jesus on earth were confused and confounded, even though they did miracles, didn't fully understand who he was. When they met the risen Lord, these men who were huddled in a locked room for fear of the Jews suddenly go out and start preaching the gospel to them. And despite persecution to both Jews and Gentiles, the gospel goes forth. And can I tell you, every single one of them, every single one of them lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. And that's why I believe in Jesus. That's reason number one, I believe in Jesus. I'll give you another reason I believe in Jesus, demons. See, I've encountered demons in darkness and the powers of, of darkness, and I've never seen them cast out by any other name than the name of Jesus. That's true. I've never seen Buddhists or Hindus, even witches, cast out demons. But I have seen demons go, cower in fear and shudder at the name of Jesus. I've seen demons silenced at the name of Jesus. And I've watched people, demon oppressed and possessed, suddenly have a complete change of attitude when Jesus is mentioned, when the presence of Jesus fills a room. That's the reason I know that Jesus is real. Can I tell you a frustration though? He makes himself all too easy to ignore. He gives you and I the opportunity to live life without him. 
That's exactly what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was man's attempt to somehow live this life apart from the I am in whom all things consist and who created and made him. And can I tell you that God let him and still does. Every time, every time you try to do life and don't include the Lord. Every time you do life and don't include Jesus, you're, is in a sense, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Trusting in your own ability to discern both good and evil. Over and above the revelation that comes from the heart of the one in whom all things consist and holds all things together. But I gotta say, it's living without him is no way to live at all. This particular podcast feels a lot like a culmination of pretty much everything I've taught over the last 10 years. And most of what I've just said is just an add-on, a bonus to Reflection 23 from the book Unveiled Horizon, Reflections on the Nature of God. Now, for more of this, just read the rest of the book. It's 250 plus pages of, of just thoughts, ideas about a life in the secret place with God. But I'd like to finish today's podcast up by reading Reflection 24. And it's short. The last one was short too. That was just a lot of bonus content for you. This one's called The Joy of Unlearning. And it begins with my life scripture, John chapter 14, verse 20. In that day you will know, this is Jesus speaking, that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Reflection 24, The Joy of Unlearning. In order to learn a new revelation, it almost always requires you to unlearn an old one. Most people would rather die than admit a limited or worse inaccurate view. And in the unlearning, it's often easier to lament the loss of the familiar rather than embrace the excitement of the new. So in the spirit of all that is holy, I offer you some travel tips on your journey. You're going to want to get a vision of the freedom ahead and realize that many have gone before. Seriously, you're not alone. On your journey, don't be surprised if you see a ton of hitchhikers along the way, thumb out, looking cautiously over their shoulders, shaking dust and shackles off their feet. Those too cautious to travel to Graceland themselves will welcome another to carry them along. Grace is unveiled like law within the context of relationship. But where the law constricts, grace empowers. And that empowerment produces relationships that make you alive while legalism makes you wish you were not. I'm constantly pushing past my own comfort zone and speaking of the grace of God, and each time I'm surprised by the number of people who with tear-filled eyes, faces shining like the sun and irresistible grins say, thank you. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's not that they haven't heard about Jesus before, but what they heard produced more fear than love and more death than life. And this produces a body of Christ that bears the marks of self-abuse. Maybe you once lived in a perpetual fear that your ability to rebel against God exceeded His power to save you. Whatever your perspective of His power, it will often be matched by your comprehension of His love. And when His love seems weak, His goodness becomes an elusive prize to be earned. And suddenly, you're back to a subconscious salvation by works. 
The gospel, in all its purity and splendor, unveils limitless power, love, and goodness, every bit as omniscient as God himself. I love grace, and his name is Jesus. Well, hopefully, today's podcast stretches your imagination a little bit. And if you want your imagination stretched further, check out Unveiled Horizon Reflections on the Nature of God. You can get it on Amazon or go to the website, billvanderbush.com and get it there. Listen, I want to pray for you today that God would make himself real to you, that the simplicity of the gospel would overtake the, the complexity of all the words that I've used today, and that you'd be brought back to a place of childlike wonder to just simply say, Jesus, Reveal yourself to me. And you know what? He will uniquely and personally to you. So Lord, I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would make yourself real to every single person listening who has a desire to know you. And Jesus, may they know you. Know you in the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings and transcend all of the cares of this life to realize themselves seated with you in heavenly places. And may the joy that they feel and find in that moment, may they reflect the light and the care, the love of that joy. And Lord, be a living invitation for others to know you as well. So thank you, Jesus, for saving, for loving, for caring for us, for calling us your own for making us, for forming us, for never giving up on us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you want to write to us, you can do so by writing to Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. The address, once again, Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. This is Bill Vanderbush from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.